0: Welcome to another week on Let's Get Real with Coach Menachem's show, Sunday Nights. Originally a Zoom interactive platform where we discuss real-life scenarios with real live people.
1: Hi everybody, welcome to the next program with Coach Menachem Bernfeld. Thank you for joining us again on this beautiful Sunday night. Tonight is Sheer 134, and uh, again I start off my week thanking everybody for coming and for joining. Um, was a special thank you to all the people that posted on all the statuses, and um, they send it around to their friends and let people know about it. We really appreciate it it's how it gets around. And to uh, see tonight, we have a lot of very good questions, very important stuff, and we're really going to cover lots. So let's all grow together. For anybody wants to get the flyers every Sunday, please WhatsApp me at 848 525 Again, that's 848-525-0066. Or you can go to com, sign up for his weekly flyers, where you get the speakers, get the replays, and all the good Zachen, Coach Menachem. So sign up over there. If anybody's watching the replay of this on YouTube, you can click on the Like button or the Subscribe button, and uh, every week you'll get notified of the share, and you'll be part of it. A special thank you to the Lakewood Scoop over here in Lakewood for promoting us here in Lakewood. Ellie and Ariel from Five Town Central for promoting us in the Five Towns. And a special thank you to Kyle Kaufman, the Jewish Content Network, for always promoting us across all the the digital Jewish platforms. Coach Menachem Show is sponsored by OKClarity.com. OKClarity.com is the place for any year to find a top notch therapist, coach, nutritionist. OKClarity.com, you find professionals, are vetted, and have extensive experience working with the Jewish community. You could even find Coach Menachem on on, on OKClarity. So uh, if you're in the market, uh, please go over there to the website. You can also join their WhatsApp statuses at 917-426-1495. Again, that's 917-426-1495. Menachem will send out an email with the links and all the things how to join. Anybody who's here for the first time this Sunday, wake up. This is already almost three years. Hello. <laughs> Thank you for joining. But uh, every Sunday night at 930 here, we're doing this already. Come out three years, Menachem. You ready? You ready for the big party? So next, next week, March 5th, is going to be Erev Purim. We're going to have an amazing share with Reb Chaim Vashinevsky who uh, speaks in a lot of schools. He speaks in a lot of Hashkafa, speaks to teenagers. And he just came out with an amazing book. It's called Tell Me the Truth. And we're going to be we're going to be tackling, confronting tough Hashkafa questions for ourselves and for teenagers. And then another part of this year, it's going to be tied together, Understanding Deep Messages of Purim from the Al-Shach uh, We're going to tie that into the Purim as well. So please join us next week. It should be very powerful. I had a lot of uh, positive feedback about Rabbi Vishnevsky. So please join us next week. Tonight, we have the schuss and the honor of having Yeshua Sachs all the way from Eretz Yisrael. Four o'clock, he came on today right early to, to come and to be Machazakas. We really appreciate that. And he's related to all of our other speakers, brothers, sisters, cousins. So he, he came in through the Mishbacha. But uh, he really comes in his own rights. He stands in his own. But we'll get to him in a minute. Tonight, Shere is 134. And we're going to be Yamoid, our president, Arna Yechfri, to explain us what Coach Menachem and Yeshua Sachs and shear 134 has to do with tonight's Kematria.
2: Good evening, everyone. Tonight, Share 134, discussing about emotional parenting, how to connect with our children emotionally. So I think the most important factor is to understand the depths of our heart, our children, properly in order to connect with them. That's why Bisiyat Deshmayeh, Share 134, is gematria lev mevin, have a heart which understands and should be this, we should have this to really understand our children and connect them emotionally properly.
1: Sure. Yeah, beautiful. Okay, I'm going to start off first with Coach Menachem. What are we doing here tonight?
0: What are we talking about? Thank you very much. Thank you, Hashem, Yes, we should have a live meeting tonight. So, we have this to be a number 134, and tonight we're discussing a very topic that I love talking about connecting to your children emotionally and I think if you're with us here on Sunday nights we've discussed many times the whole idea of emotions sometimes could be new to understand what are we looking for what are what is emotions. We discussed um, childhood emotional neglects, which um, a lot a lot of adults can look back on the way they were parented and to see if they're doing the same thing to their kids. So much more tonight, more practical. But if you, th- if you think about it, what's the most important most important years of, of all of us, our humans? We are shaped. We, we get shaped from those young years, from those beginning, from those few years, maybe the first 10 or 15 years. And um, when the kids are young, they take everything in like a sponge. Whatever you say. They're not old enough to understand maybe you're not in a good mood. Maybe you didn't mean it. Whatever you say, they take in and they pick up. And many adults can be in th- therapy today trying to figure out why do I feel like this about myself? And then slowly going back to see, you know, maybe, maybe a teacher could be a parent, friends, situations you went through when you were very young, and that's where you, you pick up. Now it's important not to point fingers feel guilty we're here to become better do better become aware of what we need to do and let take that to the next step but not to sit in that negativity on the one hand we want to be our kids we want to show them the right way on the other hand we want them to be alive they're born full of emotions maybe only emotions But it can be hard for adults if you don't have time to be there for them, to listen to them, to understand what they're going through. They're throwing a tantrum. All they want is somebody should be able to be there, listen, understand, we should be able to guide them. So it is tricky. We want them to be adults when they're three years old. It's easier for the parents, easier for for the teacher, for the Rebbe. Just be quiet follow, and listen to what I say. Why, what, what's what's all this emotions coming up, and one day it's like this, one day it's like that. Listen, these are the rules in the class. Every day the same thing. And the Rebbe puts it up on the board. There's four rules, please. Every day. But you have to understand, the kids have inside, you know, they're alive. They want to be part of, they want to talk, they want to share. So yes, we need to be mechanach. But we don't want to shut them down. We don't want to take out that energy from them. And then all they do is just follow. Another idea that I'm excited tonight, Rabbi uh, Yeshua Sachs has training in EMDR and somatic work, which goes much deeper than the words that we're talking, much deeper than what they hear in class. It's really the feeling they get, whether it's body language, really deep down how how the body feels of what's going on in class. So, mitzvah Hashem, with the knowledge tonight, with the practical tips, mitzvah Hashem, that we're going to get, we should be able to implement, even if it's one thing at a time, to understand our young kids, maybe our older kids, to see what they're missing. So, we should be able to help them and ourselves to go to the next level, to be mitzvah Shkoyach. All right, Beautiful opening. Really
1: appreciate that. Okay, so we're here tonight, again, the topic is Emotionally Connected Parenting, Practical Parenting Tips to Help You Nurture a Connected, Confident, and Happy Child. That's what we're trying to learn tonight. We want Lamaisa down to earth, real practical stuff, so that's why we're here tonight. So we have with us Yeshua Sachs. I'm going to read your bio, and then the floor is yours. Yeshua Sachs, LMSW, before receiving his LMSW, Yeshua again, guided many parents with individualized parenting techniques to avoid power struggles. And create calmer, happier families. He specialized in parenting model is based on the attachment theory and aids parenting in att- attuning to their children's emotional needs. With his LMSW, Yeshua has advanced training in EMDR and somatic intervention. Yeshua currently provides family therapy, with an emphasis on parenting couples, couples therapy and a treatment of, tr- of trauma in children. Yeshua Sachs, please open it up.
3: Okay, thank you so much. Um, thank you, Rav Asher and Coach Benachem, for having me. Um, I'll tell you a little bit about myself, just how I started in this specific work, because there's, there's always a background to it. Um, so I would I graduated and um, started off with children, because that's sort of how it happens. You sort of start off with children, you see kids, and um, that's really where you get your your foot in the door. Um, and I had my supervisor, Mrs. Brachadam, she's a fantastic supervisor in Lakewood. And we would like tweak different things I would do with the kids and different interventions, all the different things that, that um, the session would look like. And at a certain point we started, int- we started implementing that we're putting, in, um, we're putting in meeting with parents. So I would meet with parents, not just as an update of progress, not just as update, oh, this is what we're gonna have to do, you know, this is what's going on with your kid. Instead, it was almost like every three to four weeks we would meet with the parents. And that pushed me to have to tell the parents what's really going on and pushed me to have to give the parents tips. It wasn't just progress over, this is what I'm seeing, there's a cycle going on, which the parents probably knew already. And the interesting fact, the interesting part of after all this was that I started noticing that when the child would come in the next week or the next two weeks, afterwards, it was a different session. The child was calmer in session. The child was more focused. The child was more grounded. And I started saying to myself, um, we're onto something like in a way, these parent meetings are more important than the actual sessions with with the child. At the same time that that was happening and I was learning about all the different modalities, um, you know, play therapy, even sand tray with children, EMDR with children, um, all the various different modalities. I started saying, you know, us as learning in yeshiva, we try and get to the core, core, the bottom of it. And I started saying all these things are all based on the same thing. They're all based on the same, all these interventions that I'm being trained as as a therapist are all based in this rooted in the same concepts and why don't we give the parents the root of these concepts the root of it the thing that they can do and they don't need me they really don't need me they don't need me as a therapist to see their child they can do literally everything that I'm doing I know it's a little bit the opposite of what feel, field, what, the field that I'm in, but I feel like getting back to the roots of what parents can do for their kids, they can do this stuff that I'm doing 10 times better than me. They just need a bit of knowledge. They need a bit of clarity and they need to be able to to, to like sort out and understand certain basics. And I feel like the parents "Quote unquote" intervention is going to be ten times more powerful than me sitting in an office. You know, it's fun, but I'm a stranger. In the end of the day, really, if you want to get back to back to the what it's supposed to be like, it's supposed to be the parents doing this, and it's nothing fancy. It's no fancy interventions. Some of the things that we'll talk about tonight is going to, you know, take some practice. But the bottom line is, it's getting back, it's getting back to the icker, it's getting back to what, it's it's taking away all the noise and trying to get back to the icker of what us as parents really want to be like, us as parents really, really want our kids to get from us so they can learn. And honestly, a lot of this stuff that we'll talk about and a lot of the base of it really, it sounds crazy, but we'll probably the the more we do it, help our own grandchildren. As crazy as it sounds for the younger group, it actually helps our own gar- grandchildren because our kids learn what a parent is what a parent is. Our kids learn what relationships are. They don't know what it is. So, you're not only doing to yourself <laughs> to be able to under to, to be able to calm things down at home, to be able to be more connected at home. You're doing a, a favor to your child when they go to school, you're doing a, a favor to your child and his or her spouse eventually, and your own grandchildren and great grandchildren, because if there was some sort of cycle that was going on for generations, you can stop it. And when it stops, you're going you're really, really, really helping generations to come. And it, it's, it's, sometimes it's small shifts, small little shifts. Sometimes I, I tell parents, really all that you need to hear from me is, you, you guys have it, you have it naturally, you just need certain ideas, understanding. And that like almost like psycho ed quote unquote, that's enough. And some parents take it and run. They really, really implement it. And then there's hiccups in the road and we have to work things through. But I really, really believe that every parent has intuition, their own intuition, their own style, their own way of being with their kids. That's them. No one's here to change anybody. I'm not here to change anybody. Um, I know I would probably push back if someone wants to say you're doing something wrong, you have to change A, B, and C. That's not the point. The point really is to gain clarity, to be able to, to, to like almost clarify what is normal, what's not normal, what does this mean, what does that not, what does this mean. So I'm gonna tell you a couple basic things. I know it's not so much time now, but we're gonna go through a couple basic ideas that we'll probably fall back to. Um, and Ravasha, please tell me if, if you want me to like wrap it up. Okay, so a couple things that we should understand about our kids and not because we're doing something wrong, but rather because we will be helpful for us to understand our kids. Number one, when our, we're gonna get right to the chase. When our kids behave in ways that make us crazy, so it could be the catching the constant screaming the the laziness the nagging the shutting down the all you know everything that goes on in our life probably on a daily basis we have to understand that there's a goal to their behavior that means not in the in the regular way that we think that they they're try, that there's like a goal that there's some like underlying manipulative way that they're trying to do. That's not what's going on. What's really going on is that they have a goal to their behavior that they wanna get something that they're missing. They don't even know the goal. They don't know what it is. It's our job to figure out that goal. And that's what my job is to tell you what those goals are specific. It's not a thousand goals, it's not a thousand needs, it's a very specific and every parent's going to fill these needs in different ways. But the, the trick is, is that the kids don't even know that this is a goal, this, that what the goal is, or even that they're doing it for a goal. It's almost like they're hardwired that when something's not right, they're just going to behave in funny ways. And that funny way is a, is a way to meet their goal and their need. So there's so many different ways of saying this. I'm gonna say it. Um, this is the best example that I can that that I have thought of um, to understand like what this means, what they're trying to get at. So there's a there's a book out there, a child's book. It's called The Invisible String. I've said this before. The Invisible String is a child's book about a mother who's two a boy and a girl twins. They were um, they were they woke up from a thunderstorm, and they were really really scared then they ran to their mother and they said ma what's going to be it's so scary and the mother scooped them up and said you know this is um you know it's very scary but just know that even though you're in one room of the house and i'm in another there's something called an invisible string i have this like string that connects me to you even when you're in a different room and then the kids start understanding and saying hey so that means that when I'm at school and you're at home, we're also connected. And then the other the other twin goes, yeah. And when even when you fly across the country, we're still connected, right? And they go through the whole thing, and then the book ends, and it's very very nice. But I think there's something that we have to add to this book, and I really think that and I really think this is gonna help people understand what I mean when our childs are trying to get something from their behavior. Yes, there's this string. And yes, there's this invisible string, but it goes further than that. Our kids tug at the string. Our kids pull. That's their behaviors. They pull to see if we're there. So imagine you're in one room and um, your child or someone else is in another room and you're playing, I don't know, some sort of rope game, jump rope or whatever, and you don't see the other person on the other end of the rope. What are you going to do to? Um, make sure that you know the other person's there. You're going to tug. You're going to pull. If it gets tight, then you know the person's there. If it doesn't get tight and it just is loose, you're going to keep on tugging until you know for sure the person's not there. You will keep on tugging, tugging, tugging. That's what our kids do. Our kids want to know that we're there. They want to be able to have their needs met this is like a hardwired thing every single human being is like this every single human like right animals they don't need their parents when they're born many of them us humans where we need them and it goes throughout the years like this and we taught the children as they get older they tug they tug they want to know that we're there that's what their behavior really is so as much as we might see it as being manipulative, or we might see it as that they're just being impossible or any other label that we might, we might want to give our child, really, we should look at it and say, wow, my child is pretty intensely showing me that he wants to know that I'm there and he needs certain things. So what I tell parents to do, and this is really the base of my mahalach, is that Let's show our kids that we're there before they need a pull. Let's pull the string on our end. Let's make it tight so our kids don't have to pull. That means if what I'm saying is true, that there's a goal that they need to meet, if we can meet that goal before, what's going to happen is the behaviors pretty much should drop down because behaviors are not this intense, you know, there are many psychologists way, way, way before, like we're talking like, you know, and they'll they'll explain to you a behavior is this type of thing. And it's based off of something based off of this in the child or, or that in the child. I really believe that a behavior is, that's not what it is. A behavior is really trying to get something. They're trying to get something and a behavior in and of itself is not the issue which leads me to the next thing and it's very similar but it's another way of looking at it when a child's behaving in a way that's frustrating us making us crazy even engaging in power struggles really what's happening is that it's a sign we should take it as a sign that there's something wrong that means the child's feeling discouraged that there's something not right inside our child. And that's why they're behaving that way, which is very similar to the first thing that they have to meet a goal. But I'd like to, I'd like to look at it, that really what it's doing is that it's telling us that something's wrong. It's another way of telling us that something's wrong. That means it's a mode of communication. It's a way of communicating to us that no, something's not right. And you know, we do this, we we understand this with babies very simply. And this is where I find there's a shift at a certain age with babies up until the age of two. I mean, the baby cries, we're right there. We change the diaper. We try to figure out what's going on. Is the baby cold? Oh, you want to sleep on your side? Oh, maybe you want to, maybe he needs to be sit, set up. Maybe he needs to swing, right? Maybe he needs, maybe he needs, maybe he needs. What, what's going on for the baby? Because the baby's crying. We don't expect our baby to get up and, you know, like raise his hand and say, Ma, Ta, you know, something's going on for me. I need some help, right? We, we don't say that because that's just not something that, that we, we know our kids are not capable of. it. There's a shift at the age of around two. Terrible twos. Our children develop language and they can say, I'm hungry. They can say, I hate you. <laughs> they can say, you're the worst mommy or tati. So, and they can say, I love you. And they can say, I want to go to kheder I want to go to school. I want to go. I want to go. So if that's what they're saying, if they're able to say that, all of a sudden in our mind, we shift and we say, okay, if something is bothering you, tell me. Use your words. Let me know what's going on. And that is the problem. That's exactly at that point, and that's where the terrible twos comes in because nothing changed. When our children start becoming terrible in their twos, nothing's changed except for the fact that now they have a they have something that they need. They're, there's a certain autonomy that's happening, and they're not getting it. They're not they're not getting what what they need and so they're starting to behave to tell us that something's going on they can't use their words we're expecting them to use their words but they can't so it's really at that age at the age of around two that these things are kicking in but it kicks in really from both ends it kicks in that they have these needs they have these things that that, that are that they're realizing or or it. Not even that they're realizing that their brain's developing in a way that they need. And we're expecting more from them to express it. But that's not happening. That's not going to happen, especially if they don't learn how to do it. Most of our kids, you know, when they're born, they're, they're like a blank book. They don't have that wide range of language, emotional capacity, everything. They, they're, they're, their brain is still developing. Just because they're born, their brain their brain is not developed. Like Reb Menachem said, it's not, you know, they're not little mini people when they're born. There's so much development and learning that happens from us as parents. That's where it happens. And that's what's really, really, um, that's what's really, I think, can help parents realize. Like, uh, like, this is something that I tell parents a lot. For the first two years of life, we always said, Our children were so good. They're the yummiest kids. Look, we tell them to come, they come. We tell them to go to sleep, they go to sleep. We put them in the crib, they go into their crib. And then all of a sudden at the age of two, they became monsters. They just became monsters. What I tell parents is like, let's shift that a little bit. And let's say for the first two years of life, you weren't parenting. You mistook this control that you had over your kid as parenting. That's what you mistook it as. It wasn't parenting. It was pure control and it worked because our kids didn't have that need for control or didn't, or they were too little. They weren't developed enough. But then all of a sudden when they hit the age of two, they get that need. And so what happens is, is that we're like, oh my goodness, what's going on? I was the best parent for the first two years. I don't care what's going on now. We mistook that as parenting. It wasn't parenting. Parenting is working with our children that have this need for control and helping them develop it. And that's what I started really um, almost like trying to develop all the interventions that I was taught. How can I give it over to parents in a clear, concise way that's not going to be overwhelming? I hope not. It's not going to be like, you have to do therapy intervention. That's not what that's not what it's supposed to be like. It's supposed to be natural. And when it is natural, and when it comes to and when it comes to the parent relationship, it is the strongest thing. I mean, we can think of as a, as adults, our relationships with our parents, whether it's good, whether it's bad, whether it's rocky, it's a thing that's on our mind. It's a thing that's important. It's typically, and it's a thing that when it goes well, we're well. When it doesn't go so well, we're not so well. So for our children, and we as parents have a tremendous amount of power. It's a little bit daunting, it's a little bit overwhelming, but it is. we have so much power. We can shape our children to be emotionally healthy, to be able to, to like um, be able to weather the world, right? A lot of parents tell me, some parents will ask me, so I don't get it, it's a hard world out there. How can you How can you start trying to figure out certain things about our kids? So, that's not what's going on out in the world. It's a really hard world out there in school, jobs, no one's nice, I don't get it. You have to teach them to be tough. What I tell the parents is I hear you, but there's gotta be one place in the child's life that they can come back to and they can feel comfortable expressing what's going on, feeling comfortable that they'll be heard, feeling comfortable that they'll get their needs met. There has to be one place because not only is that gonna help them weather the storm because and that's the whole attachment theory that I'm trained in that they can always come back to their attachment piece whether come back physically or come back emotionally. But also, we want our kids to come over to us. Something goes on in, in school that's really, really scary for them. Or something went on by their friend's house that they weren't comfortable with. We want them holding that. We want them holding that, sitting with that in their own little, cute, little undeveloped brains. No, they want, we want them to come over to us and we want to be able to help them. Help them could just be mean, like listening, like Reb Menachem said. doesn't have to be helping. But let us be that base, that core base, and that foundation for our kids to come back to. Um, so I'm going to say, I'm going to, we can, Reb Usher, is it okay? Should we continue? Should we?
1: No, let's jump into it. Okay. Let's okay, go. go on, and now we're, now we're going to do the pull, the pull thing. We're going to pull you a little bit. Is that okay? Yeah. Okay. So let's do that. Okay. Well, let's gonna I'll give you a minute break. Let's get into the polls. Let's ask everybody three questions that we have here tonight, and let everybody, uh, here we go. Okay. Three questions, everybody. Here we go. First question. What is your discipline method regarding unwanted behaviors from your children? Four options, number one, set limits and stick to them. Number two, raise your voice and say, because I said no, like very authority. Three, teach the child better behavior. Or option four, redirect or distract with another activity. Those are the three options, choose one of them. Four options, sorry. Number two, what do you believe your four or five-year-old is capable of expressing? Express what emotions he or she is experiencing. Option two, can tell us what is bothering them. Option C, throws tantrums and can't express what they're really feeling. The third question, very generic question. Do you enjoy parenting your children? Answer MS. Yes, I find it hard, but very rewarding. Number two, I find myself at the end of the day completely drained. Or option three, I'm pretty passive about it and let the day play out. Answer those two questions and then we'll share with everybody. And uh sure you could uh give a comment on that. We're gonna jump into questions. People that uh while people are voting, I'll just tell everybody that um obviously a lot of questions go first. Please text us your partners on the screen. Um we have a lot of questions that came in. And let's try to really uh know how to really connect to our children. Shua, while people are voting, why don't you just tell them about uh, about the courses that you do, the stuff that you do, your programs in Lakewood okay.
3: Yeah. Okay. So I um so after okay. yeah yeah so after realizing a, a, a bit of this um, and how I how we can really help parents, I started doing really one on one sessions with parents. Not so much. Sometimes I would meet the child, but many times I would just um, I would just meet the parents. Maybe meet the child one or two times, and then I really developed uh, a course because some of the fundamentals, which we'll talk about tonight. Real fundamental basics it can be taught in a course. It's more effective, um, and there's you know sichas Um and that's what I and that's what I, I do. There's a course starting in America next month, um, and I have a bunch of courses going in Eretz Israel. So it's I, I find that in a way, sometimes parents need the one-on-one after the course, couple sessions, or some some parents like the one-on-one stuff, but a lot of it really reverts back to the basics and that's, which is so important, which if you're into it and, and you, and it's a, and it's not that one-on-one interaction, but we allow question answers at the end. Then it's, it's there's, you know, people chime in, especially when it's live, Um, it's very, very helpful. It gives support to everybody. Everyone's in the same boat. You know, it, <laughs> we can't, we sometimes it's interesting to see just how um, everyone's really experiencing the same exact thing.
1: Well, not, not to promote you, Shu, but just a few people came over to me and say you have a very successful uh, practice in liquid. People really uh, use it. So I'm just saying that. Okay, let's share the results, then we'll get into the questions. Here we go. First question was What is your discipline method regarding unwanted cho- behaviors from your children? So the number one answer, the 40% answer, set limits and stick to them. That's what most people feel like. 12% of people feel raise your voice and say, because I said so, very author- authoritative. Mm-hmm. 29% of people say, Teach the child better behaviors. 90% of the people said redirect or distract with another activity. Do you want to comment on that?
3: So I, I think that the two that are rating higher are really the answer. Um, it's really both. Um, I would probably, for me, <laughs> I would probably switch it to let's say 40% to teach the child better behavior and then set limits okay. and stick to them will be the 29%. But it's very close. It's very, it's pretty on the mark actually.
1: Okay, let's go to the second question. Do you believe your four or five-year-old child is capable of expressing choice? Sixty expressing capable of expressing themselves. Sixteen percent of people say express what emotions he or she are experiencing. Fifty-one percent of the people can tell us what is bothering them. Thirty-three percent of the people believe that their child throws tantrums and really can't express what they're feeling. What's yeah. So, your, what's your experience?
3: So, in my, what I'm what what I'm thinking is more the third, even though you know that didn't ra- that rated thirty-three percent, but. I do think that um, most of the time our children cannot express what they are feeling. Most of the time. Sometimes, yeah. Um, Sometimes there's going to be times where you'll be surprised and all of a sudden they're telling it to us. But if they're not taught what to do, and more importantly, they're not taught that it's safe to do that and they don't get that, like Rabbi Nachum said, that feeling in their body that it's okay, they're not going to do it. So I, I that I think that's interesting. Um, most kids can tell us what's bothering them, especially when it's a, like a four or five year old.
1: Okay, and the last, the most important question: Do you enjoy parenting your children? Fifty-two percent of the people say yes. I find it hard but rewarding. Thirty-eight percent of the people, I find myself at the end of the day completely drained. And 11% of the eleven percent of people say I'm pretty passive about it and let it play out. So bottom line, most people here are into it, the trying, right? Yeah, but,
3: it's definitely hard, but but it is so rewarding.
1: Okay, so I have a few live questions. We'll, we'll take a few, um, a few of the questions that came in and we'll get into it. Okay, first question. My oldest child, five years old, wants everything his way and struggles when he doesn't get his way. He can yell, he can scream, he resorts to name calling and fighting with everyone with whoever does not give in to him. He tends to be rigid overall, but when he is home, he's really out of control. We find that he's lying at home as well. What are some things we could do to help the situation?
3: Okay. So first, it's like based on what I was telling you earlier, we have to try and understand why. I know it's not like... It's not, we have to understand what's going on why. What's going on? Why is my child doing this? Why is he doing all these name calling? Why when he gets home is it getting worse? Maybe at school he was a little better. And also, why, why is he lying sometimes? Like, what's the reason? And so I'm gonna bring you back to the, the basics of what I was taught, and help. hopefully it can help us understand it. So I'm gonna go back to the basics of what our, our kids' children's needs is, because when I hear this question, what I'm really hearing is, My child's trying to communicate something to me very, very clearly through these things. He's not doing it on purpose. He's not doing it to be manipulative. That's not what he's doing it for. What he's doing it, what what he's trying to do is communicate something to us. We have no clue what he's doing. He's probably trying to communicate something to us that is the last thing we would think is going on based on the behavior he's doing. That means our kids are really, really not good communicators. They have really bad communication skills because if this is the way it is, this is their communication. And what I'm saying is true that there's really, they're asking for something. That's that's like an odd way of doing it, but that's our kids. Unless they learn to do it differently, which we'll get to, um, it, they're they're going to do it this way. So number one is that there's a big, um nature piece i think with this child who tends to be rigid there's probably a nature piece you know everyone asks is it nature is it nurture and the answer is it's both so there for sure is a nature piece that this child is a bit more uptight a bit more rigid but what i would say is that let's focus on the nurture piece because it's really both the nurture piece is going to help out the nature piece the nature piece also helps out, helps out the nurture piece both of them play hand in hand but if for tonight's interest i think to focus really on the nurture piece of what we can do for our kids help them that's going to also bring down the nature piece so i i was telling you that that all these you know behaviors have you know there's a goal in mind or there's something going on there's something that the child's feeling that there's something wrong Almost like, you know, if I can say, it's almost like the child's hungry. You know, like when we're hungry, we can't, or it's like four in the morning and we didn't have our coffee yet. So it's it's not that, we can't even describe the feeling. We just like, we're just off. We're just hungry. You can't necessarily describe the feeling. Rather, you just feel it. It's in you. And when our kids don't get their needs met, in a way that they, first of all, know they'll get them met where they're not getting it met. What happens is, is that they start feeling, let's say, let's call it hungry. Something's off and they have start behaving in certain ways. So let me give you what I think is going on with this child um, who's, you know, rigid and also is, um, you know, at home can be screaming and can be, can be really really difficult and is also lying. So, I'm going to break it down very simply. The two needs will we'll, you know, we'll get into it more and we'll expand on it, but the two basic needs that I've seen in the attachment theory in all the play therapy, you know, stuff and we'll get to like real specifics and in, in how how we can help them, but the two main things of our ch- children what they're saying they need very simply is attention which is emotionally connected attention, which is not easy to do, not simple. It's not just spending time with them. That's the first thing. And the second thing is our children need control. They can't control us, but they need a sense of control. Uh Need a sense of control in their life. And we as like Rabbi Menachem said in the beginning, he covered so much, we can't control our kids. We can't control them. Ultimately, they're gonna do what they want. If we're controlling them, probably you'll see a minute, like the behavior will be minimized in the moment, but they're gonna fight back pretty soon, either as they get older, the next minute, because we're wired not to be controlled. We're not avadim, we're not controlled. And so the way I like telling parents to shift the way they're thinking is not to, we don't control our kids, but we're in charge of our kids. We're in charge, but we don't control them. And we'll get into this more. What I feel like for this child is that he needs more control in his life. Not control like oh he can make the decision where we're going for Pesach, and he can make the decision of you know which car to buy. That's not the control that I'm talking about. There's ways to give our children control in very very passive ways, very passive ways. So when I hear that a child's rigid, blows up at home at any little thing, and is lying, what I hear is that. There's a child that feels like they don't have any control, and that itself is making them feel unsafe. So this is like a really, really key point that I want parents to know, and I think can really motivate parents to think about this further. When our children feel like their needs are being met, let's say these two, and we'll get into how to do it. That's how we create safety for our children. And this is a really, really powerful piece. Part of the attachment theory is that we need our children to feel safe. How do we make them feel safe? We always talk about safety, 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 safety for our kids. Yes, there's stranger danger and there's weird things that we should stay away from. And I would say more strange behaviors than than a strange person. It's both, but focus for kids on strange behaviors. That's that's physical safety. You know, we can lock up all the 50 locks on the door. That's all physical safety. But really before the physical safety, our children need to feel safe. They need to feel, it's a feeling in their body when they feel safe. When we meet these needs and they know they're gonna get these needs met, by the fact that there's a certain amount of consistency, by the fact that we're able, by that they know they're gonna get these needs met, they feel safe. It's almost like they can rest. They're able to rest. And that's really important because you think of a flower, a flower sleeps at night, doesn't grow, and then all of a sudden the day it grows, animals hibernate, rest is a, integral part. So we're talking about physical rest, but there's also emotional rest. We need our kids to, we need our kids to rest. And when they know that they're going to get their needs met, they'll rest. So with, with a child that's having these big blow up tantrums, I feel like there's probably both of the needs need to be focused on. When I hear also the piece of of you know the minute something doesn't work out perfect and also the 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 point of lying that's where it tells me that the child usually doesn't feel safe now we say okay make the child feel safe but the way of making the child feel safe is that you fill these needs for him or her so for example um lying really in terms of lying, lying really, there's different parts to lying. There's the lying that, you know, just for attention, they just make up, you know, baloney stories. But I have a feeling in this question, the lying is more like they're lying that they did something because they don't want us to get angry at them. That's fear-based. They're worried that something's going to happen if they say what's going on. That's where the shift should go. The shift shouldn't be you don't lie, mitzvah Of course, we have to teach our kids that. But, Why is a child lying? The child's lying because he doesn't feel safe to say the truth. So if we create a safe environment, understanding our child, that means understanding the underneath of the behavior and filling the need for control, I think with this child, that's what it is. I would almost bet that a lot of these behaviors will go down. Now, of course we have to address the behavior. But before we address the behavior, we have to get to the root of it and address the root. Because if we're going to jump to all the roots, like this question was pretty long-winded and you're going to start, you know, there's a bunch of different things that are going on. If you're going to try grabbing this quote unquote symptom, like I'm telling you this behavior, and then this behavior, and then this behavior, and then this behavior, you're going to have to grow 80 hands. It's almost like the example I give is a, is a, a, a doctor that, you know, you bring your, 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 your child comes over to you and says, my, my ear's hurting. Okay. Let's like numb it with some drops. And then mommy, my, now my head's hurting. Okay. Let's give you some ibuprofen. Oh, mommy, my throat really hurts. Okay. Let's spray it. And there's tons of things that you're trying to manage these symptoms like this question, well, this, and this, and this, and this, and this, we could just give our kid the antibiotics and hit the core of the issue of strep. And then those symptoms will fall away. So practically how to give our children a sense of control. Um, very simply, I know there's so much more to do and I, I can't, you know, it's obviously it's a short answer. It's, it's much bigger than this, but um, most people will say, give a child a choice. So I'm gonna shift that a little bit. And I'm gonna say is invest in creating an environment for your kids that are full of decisions, not choices, but decisions that he or she can make in a way that makes no difference to you. So it can be like, you, you can formulate it in a question of like, um, you know, you're anyways going down to the car and you can ask your kid, do you want to sit in the front or the back? And then they choose to sit in the front or they choose to sit in the back. You just gave them a sense of control in their life. And it might seem so crazy and so like really that, but in their world, that's what's important. I find myself telling, trying, reminding parents so much how our world is so different than theirs. Our world that we're living in is so different than the world that they're living in. And let's just think, for example, our physical difference. Like you know, sometimes the kids will like look up and say like, "How's the weather up there?" big person, you know, we're just like big, big people to them. And not only physically are we okay. bigger, emotionally, we're bigger. Things are more important to us. What's important to us rates zero by them. And what's rates a hundred by them rates zero by us. That's where we have to find a way to understand their world. And if we can understand that world that they need a sense of control, like I- I'll tell parents when we want to sit on the couch, we sit down on the couch when our kids want, especially the younger ones, they have to climb onto the couch to sit on it, right? That's a different world that they're living in. They're living in a in, a, in a much more um, like everything's just bigger than them. So let's say, let's take this, this, this child, give him a choice, simple choice that makes no difference to you. It's a, it's a matter of being creative and it's a matter of thinking and saying to yourself, I'm investing in my child, I'm investing in his need for control, his need for power. That's what I am investing in. And each time you do it, you add it into your investment. So I'll give you another example. Let's say it's um, you're making dinner and you're anyways putting the rice on the plate and you're anyways putting the chicken on the plate. And you know, maybe this kid, which you said is a bit rigid, you can ask him, do you want me to put the you want me to put the sauce on the rice or you want to keep the sauce separate? It makes no difference to you. But when he chooses and he makes a decision, he feels chashev. His mother, his father asked him something and he gotta an answer. All these type of things. And you can do it many times a day. It's really, really helpful because if what I'm saying is true, that this is the cause of it you're preempting it, you're jumping in before, you're not jumping on the behavior, you're really in a way cultivating a relationship. And when you have this relationship, because you're jumping into your child's world in a way and understanding, okay, you know, like we live in an apartment building now, you know, you want to ask your kid, do you want to hit the button to the elevator or should I hit it? Like, boom, you just gave him a little sense of power. He's four and a half years old. She's three years old, okay. ask them those questions and have them choose. Another way to do this, really, really powerful. And it's for younger kids, for sure, for sure. So as they get older, it's gonna have to become a little bit more um, you know, mature, but again, it doesn't have to be crazy decisions. It could be like, oh, we're going out shopping. So which store should we go to? Would you rather shop in this grocery store or this grocery store? If it makes no difference to you, see, you are in charge but you're not controlling the situation. And that's the difference. Because when your children feel controlled, they're gonna fight back. That's where the power struggles come, when they feel like they're controlled, they're being controlled. Another way to do this, really, really, um, like a, a good way like, that you can fill up this control piece is when they make their decision, let's say, they, you know, they chose something to wear or they decided that they're gonna make something for lunch, you know, on a Sunday in their home anyways, and they decided to make something to lunch. Use the word decide. Say, oh, you decided to have pizza for lunch. Yum, and that's it. You just gave them the sense that they're in control and in power. The child came out four years old, you know, they got dressed themselves and they, they put on the blue skirt with the white shirt or the blue pants with the green shirt and you tell them, oh, you chose the blue pants. Nice. Very sure. Let's
1: go, we have a lot of live questions. Let's jump on some more, okay?
3: Okay, let's go.
1: Okay, first live question, you're on.
4: Hey, you hear me?
1: Yes.
3: Hi, how are Hi. you?
4: Good, so far I'm really enjoying the session. Um, uh, my question is that I have one of my daughters, she constantly comes to me during bedtime specifically. Um, and she keeps on asking me for hugs and you know one, two, three times I'll give her that hug and I don't just do it for one second I'll give a good three minute hug and he, and you know I'll make sure like you know I'll tell her I love her verbally, etc and then she just won't stop coming to my room. So like you know a part of me tells me oh she needs a love which you know I'm sure all kids need love and then a part of me is telling me she's just trying to push up bedtime and then at a certain point, you know I could get frustrated obviously I don't want to end off the night like that but I, you know, Sometimes I would tell her, you know, come to, you know, mommy always has time to have you come to me tomorrow, you know, after school or I'll I'll even initiate it. But I just feel like at bedtime that's specifically when she comes, it's not like she has anything to talk about. She just, it just doesn't end.
3: Yeah, yeah. So this is a really, really common. Thank you for bringing up this question. Um, It's frustrating. (laughs) Definitely very, very frustrating. What I'm gonna tell you is, is that um, I'm gonna jump to the other need of of our kids. And I think this is the core of what's going on with 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 your child and a lot of children at that time um the this is the emotional connected piece this is the attention piece um this is you know you can call it the belonging piece where our children want to feel emotionally connected not because they were taught to feel this way but because we're hardwired to to feel this way and usually what I find is like you're describing at the end of the day, a lot of times the the children, they don't know that they're doing this, but the reason why bedtime is always such a struggle is because I would say that like the the clock restarts each time. So each day is like a new reset of like, okay, now let's see if I got my needs met now. Now let's see if, if like now I need to restart and charge it. Now I need to restart and charge it each day. So at the end of the day at night, and they're realizing they didn't get this piece, which is so specific, it's not like you don't love them and you probably do so, so much to them, for them, with them. But sometimes we just need a little bit of clarity of what our children really need and that's gonna help them. So what I would tell you is, is um, specifically, they're craving a certain type of connection from us, Certain type of attention from us, and that's what's pushing her to come back out of bed each time. Now, what the typical approach is: if you get out of bed one more time, you lose this. If you jump out of bed this one t- right? Which is, sometimes you need to say that. That's a hillock like of boundaries. I don't
5: want
4: it to like twist into a threat. Like I want exactly. her to know that I'm always there for her.
3: Exactly, and that's what's and that's what's tricky. It doesn't have. That's what I'm saying. It shouldn't always be a threat. Sometimes we need to. That means it's this balance. Of course, we have to put down firm boundaries. And of course, we have to say, you know, we can talk about consequences. But before that, let's get to the root of it. And so if you want some practical advice, it's really short to give the practical advice because it takes so much to be able to fill this need. Once you get it, you get it and it's there. But what I would say is.
4: Can I just tell you one thing. From all so, my kids, she is the only one that doesn't have, like naturally know how to like, like have other children who like naturally come and like just hug me all the day or like, you know, my I love you or whatever. She's the only one that naturally doesn't have it like in her. Like,
3: mm-hmm, like I mm-hmm. have
4: to initiate it or I'll have to bring it up. She does and only at night. That's the only time that she actually like the physical touch.
3: Yeah, yeah. So what I would tell you is to to that's a great piece of information. And I think I think what I would tell you is to initiate it during the day. So if what I'm again, like I'm saying, let's try and jump in early before bedtime and fill it, fill the need. So what it might look like is, you know, you carving out two minutes that you know, you're going to sit with her and just give her a hug during the day or sit with her and say, how old how old the child? Okay, so I guess it's uh, I'll tell you, Irene.
4: Sorry, I was muted. Um, she's ten. She's the oldest, a ten-year-old.
3: So ten years old. I think that um, le- when she comes home from school or any any time, sit with her and say, "Just how was your day?" And then let her let her talk. If she doesn't talk, she just says it's good. Ask her a specific question, like, um, you know. Like, did you sit next to, who Did you sit next to on the bus? Or like a very specific question that will bring out the conversation. Uh Just be with her. Just be with her and almost try to connect with, like almost pretend, try, this is difficult, but try and get into like, become like a 10-year-old in a little bit of a way. That means you're the parent, but you're jumping into like a 10-year-old, like when she's talking about her you know, on the bus and then this one, and then this one and this one, like really feel it, really get involved with it. And what's gonna happen is that she's gonna feel that you're you're feeling it, as opposed to just like listening halfway there, phones on, looking at it, really giving her that undivided attention on her level. You know, this is the short answer, I think will really, will help fill her need. Will help fill that need of quote unquote love, of attention, of of feeling seen and understood those are all like within that that umbrella um so any way you're able to do that with her specifically because you know that she's the one that has a hard time initiating it you initiate it you jump in even though she might not see that she wants it this is an integral need of hers so that's what i would tell you to do with her
0: Hi, it's Coach Menachem here. If you enjoyed, please consider supporting us with a small monthly monthly donation to help sustain the future episodes. and It will be greatly appreciated. Thank you in advance.
1: Okay, let's go to the next live question. You're on.
6: Hi. First of all, thank you so much. Can you hear me?
3: Yes, I could.
6: Okay, great. Um, so... I have a question. Um, I'm really stuck with, I'm not sure what to do. Um, my eight-year-old son who's in uh, third grade, um, is being bullied, um, repeatedly for the past, like, I would say more so in like the past, like two, three months. Um, and they're every day, like he comes home with like a story and I, and I crack up about it and I'm like, is this real? Like, I don't know. Is this normal eight-year-old behaviors? Like one day, something that was important to him, a kid just literally took it out of his pocket, broke it, and then just put it into the garbage. And he got really upset. And it was the first part of the morning. And of course, uh, impacted him. And he didn't want to, you know, do his work while Rebbe was asking him to do work because he was very upset about it. And then the next day, like he had breakfast and somebody like he went outside to drink. And one kid decided to basically spit into his sandwich, and then the next day, like during recess, they're taking sticks and like you know hitting him. And obviously, I'm in contact with the Rebbe, and Rebbe, you know, kind of brushes it off. I guess he doesn't know what to do. There's no protocol. It's a yeshiva. It's there's no like system going on, unfortunately. So hearing this as a mother, obviously, it's breaking my heart because I I don't know what to do, and um, a lot of the parents are very like defensive. And it's very hard because I really tried not to speak to the parents. I wanted to really speak to the yeshiva and the rebbe first, but it got nowhere. It really got nowhere. And I had to go to like my own and I just figured to, you know, reach out to the parents myself. Um, And it was very hard because now it's like this, you know, like your son did this and your son, it's very uncomfortable. And I felt like I had to back up. And I know that, you know, I'm hearing the right story because the Rebbe's confirming this is what happens, you know. So I'm in this position where, you know, my son is now not interested in, you know, going to school. He hates school. He doesn't have friends. He, he's telling me all these things. And um, obviously I'm looking to, you know, I'm trying to figure out the next step for us. But in the meantime, trying to decide what to do. Is he doing something that is causing people to like bully him like I you know I I don't know like I don't know if that's something that bullies look out for he's very spoken outspoken you know he does he's very smart and um I don't know if that's an easy target for for kids I don't know
3: okay fantastic question thank you for bringing it up I think it can give a platform for for a lot you know to to help with this issue because it's an issue so, when parents ask me about this, what I usually tell them is is um, a couple things. It is is a sort of like a borderline age where you, you know you do want some intervention from the school, you do. Um, if they're not if they're not, um, I think you did everything right. and if they're not do, they're not helping, then you jump to the parents. That means like us as parents, that's our responsibility to keep our kids out of harm's way um that's a like of it. um but what i would t- tell you is that your child's eight i think he's at a point where he can understand certain things and this is what i tell parents to do and i think it's it can be helpful for you at least in the meantime um take, speak to your kid speak to your child but make sure that it's really out of the moment And this is really a key piece to a lot of the learning that goes on for our kids. Most of our teachings or our consequences or our telling our kids what to do or telling them they have to stop or do this is gonna happen in the moment, in the moment of a tantrum, in the moment that they come home complaining that there's a bully. And at that point, their brain is closed The only thing operating when they're in that state of I'm never going back to school, he did this to me and he did that to me, their brain is off. That means their reasoning brain is off, their emotional brain to process emotions off. So like, I I know people have seen this example before, but I'll hold it up. This is my fist, right? The bottom part of it is like the, the reptilian brain, which is the ability to breathe. The ability to move to thrash scream you know <laughs> all the things that are happening in during a tantrum then on, what do you say
1: survival mode
3: yeah exactly and then on the top mm-hmm. is the mm-hmm. is is going to be the the emotional and in the front more like the decisions and the practical when a kid is tantruming in the moment having it really really rough the only thing online is here, it stops up here, nothing's going on over here. The lights are off, the Wi-Fi done, it's just really choppy service, doesn't work. What we have to do, our job is to open it up and to calm them down and then help them. So for your child, I would tell you is that don't jump in when he comes back from to tell him these things. Or when he comes back and saying, "Oh, this, and this, and this happened." Really, find a very quiet time, a very nice time. The opposite of what most parents will do. Most parents, the kid's quiet. I am out of here. I am not going to handle this. I'm not going to deal with any potential interaction. Let me just walk away quietly because he's reading. You know, which needs to happen also. But utilize those times mm-hmm. to discuss what's going on. That's really eating you up, like you said or eating him up. And what I would tell you to do is go over to him out of the moment, random, random time, Friday night, go over to him. You're sitting down anyways on the couch quietly and and help him understand what's going on and then give him a tip what to do. So let him understand that. He probably knows this already, but if you explain to him this way, he might take it further. Say, you know, like when you're not feeling good, it's not going well. You might do things that like, you know, you're hungry, you might have a shorter temper or, you know, someone says something not nice to you, your brother took something away from you, you start, you know, you'll fight back at him. When When, let's say one or two kids in your class are bullying, we have to know that, we have to know that this child's in pain. There's something really, really bothering him. And so what he has to do is he has to pick on somebody. That's what he has to do. And we, we can't, we can't really help him, but what we could do is help ourselves. If we know that it's because this kid's in pain and what happens is to help his pain, he fights with us and then he gets a reaction from us. He sees us crying. He sees us fighting back. He sees us doing all these things. That's going to be like, that gives him even more of a boost to continue doing it. Because guess what? It took away his pain a little bit. Each time he does it and he gets this reaction, it takes away his pain. So, let's say his name is Avrami. Say, Avrami, I want you to try this the next time it happens. You know, let's say he comes over to you and says something not nice to you, like, well, you're wearing, th- you're wearing that shirt? Or, "Oh yeah, you're doing this? Or or he does something, he puts something into your sandwich. Just say the word so. So, and you might have to pretend it today. So, oh, you're wearing this shirt? So And what that what happens is is that these bullies, they melt when it happens. They might like fight a little bit more to like try to get more of a reaction, but if you're steady, if you're able to just say those words like so, what happens is is that the whole temperature goes down. like the bully's not getting anything from us. and they're gonna stop. It might not stop that day. But the more consistent we are, and this is where you can help him, you can help him be strong like that. You can give him, you can mm-hmm. energize him, you can push him, you can You can um, give him other tips. You can tell him, you know, I want you to tell me exactly what goes on each day and how you reacted and and, and, and we'll talk about it and be there for him. So that way he he, he has a chizak to do it. But it might really, really help him. It's like the perfect age when he's eight. And you'd be surprised a lot of times, like you say, oh, my kid, I don't know, my kid can't do that. You know, he's eight years old, but they could. And they feel really good about themselves. So, and like, it just diffuses the whole situation because fighting back with the bully, you're going to continue getting bullied unless you're stronger than the bully, but it doesn't sound like he is. Another point I want to point out for you is that when you say like, oh, these silly things, like, you know, they spin a sandwich or they took something away and they broke it. And to us, it's very, very silly. And I know you have a lot of compassion for him. I hear from you that you understand him, but to bring out this point, I'd like to bring out a point that let's understand that for him, this is his world. So like a lot of times I'll tell parents, let's understand that when the doll broke, or that yo-yo that they were waiting for cracked. It's, I'm not gonna say the same thing, but on their level, it's similar to us losing something really important to us, like our diamond ring on their level, or our, you know, we just got a new suit and it ripped. Brand new suit and like a rip down the middle or down the side, you can't really fix it well. On their level, everything's smaller on their level. So it's not going to be a suit. It's not going to be a diamond ring. It's going to be that car that they got from their bubby. And now it's, and now the kid cracked it. For them, in their scenario, in their world, that's what it's like for them. So to have compassion for them, and really, really listen through to what, when he says, and he broke my thing, we can work on fixing it. We can work on giving him eights But even before that, sit with it with him. And, you know, I'm sure we'll get into more on how to sit with them and how to be with them in these type of moments, but sometimes that alone is enough to help repair it. When a par- That's how powerful the parent-child relationship is. Just sitting with it, acknowledging it, hearing it, Repeating it back to them, we'll get into ways to do this, and this is really, really powerful stuff. That sometimes alone brings everything down by like 70%. If they know they could come back to you, and it's not going to be a fix, like so many, like our, our parenting juices, like jump in when we are, when we hear that someone's bothering an, our child and we're like, we're going to call her this and we tell the kid, I'm going to call more or whatever and we're going to do A, B, C, D. That's not what our child needs to hear right then. What our child needs to hear is like, oh my, that must have been so, so, so. Tell me what happened. Listen, let him repeat it to you. Just him repeating it to you and him and you listening is huge now. Because honestly, I'm going to tell you, Secret, that's what I would do in a session with him if someone came to me because their kid was bullied, because their kids were being bullied. So it's that skill. We'll get into that skill, I'm sure, through other questions. Um, but but it's that skill of really understanding his world, jumping into his world that can help him.
1: Okay, sure. let's go to the next live question. You're on.
3: Uh,
5: it's funny. Um, The the description of the child that you said earlier, the kid who is lying, the kid who's on edge all the time. In my family, she is their nine-year-old girl who is asking and getting the most love and hugs multiple times during the day, at night, before going to sleep. Every time she goes to school, she comes in uh, in the morning, she comes to me, she asks for a hug, she gets a hug. And this is the kid that strangely enough is lying, hiding um, presents from the other kids, um, hiding stuff in her school bags. And mom is asking where it is. And she would say, I don't know. It sounds um, that's whatever I'm giving her is like doing the opposite for, of the effect that we expecting to be.
3: So it's a great, so I hear you. I hear you. Um, her- I'm sorry. So, so what I would say is, um, this is where it gets a little bit nitty gritty. Where a lot of times, what we're giving our kids and what we're showing them is not what they necessarily need. Like, in other words, we're missing them a little bit. So it's like a funny thing. It's like if you take, um, this is where the nature and the nurture goes in. Let's say. Our kid needs a lot of this loving attention or the kid or our child needs a lot of a sense of control, which we, were, I was focusing more on the control piece than the loving attention piece for for this specific question. So it wasn't that's why I specifically focused more on the control piece and the and the feeling that they have a certain sense of power. But what I would say is that. Um, Sometimes our children need things in funny ways, like really funny ways. That's our job to figure out how, if it's not working, let's figure out other ways that we can help them recharge, fill up that need so they don't have to lie, so they don't have to, you know, hide things. But sometimes their nature is just like that, and it's going to take twisting. And like, it's almost like I think of like a cup, we're trying to fill up this cup. But like, there's a leak on the bottom, there's, you know, the top is really twisted. So it's really hard to get that juice in like you have to like tilt it and do it in a funny way. And that's what the that's really where our own intuition comes in. That means taking the knowledge that I'm telling you, and saying, okay, I get that there's need. Maybe she needs it in a little bit of a different way. Not just a hug at night. Not just a, you're amazing in the morning. Maybe she needs it in a little bit of a different way. Maybe she needs it more with like, that she feels that we're there for her and we're never, we're, we're going to be able to hold whatever she comes to us with. And how to do that, that's like, that's, that's you know, it's much bigger than this, but... But giving her that feeling, um, and that's where that's where it's a it, it gets sometimes gets tricky when a child's nature is is going to be like that type of nature. But what I would say is, even more than the attention piece and the loving piece, which it sounds like you're really giving her, I would work on the control piece and the piece that she feels like she has she has relevance in her own right, not just from the things she has or the gifts she gets. She has relevance in her own right, the fact that she can make decisions, the fact that her decisions matter to you and the fact that when she makes a decision, you focus on it and say, oh, so you decided to do that, nice, right? That's gonna give her a boost that she's not gonna need her stuff. She's not gonna need to lie. Um, that's uh, That's, that's what I would suggest for you.
2: Okay, sure.
1: Great. A bunch of live questions they keep coming in. Go to the next one. Hold on one second.
7: I'm here. Hello. Hey,
5: uh, yes. You hear me? Yes.
1: Yeah.
5: Okay. I it feels like I'm opening a can of worms for myself for sure. I am a grown woman. I grew up in a home where, in a nutshell, if I want to describe the control, what it felt like, in my understanding now, kind of cult-like. My parents were both children from Holocaust survivors, and I kind of can see with a lot of work that I did, you know, where that's coming from. But for me, as a child, I don't know how I survived it, and the way I survived it. Um, especially specifically around the dress code that was not halacha and stifled the self for me in a way. um, And and, But no one listened. I remember crying to my father and it was like, no, this is the way we do it. And it's still affecting me until today. I mean, a therapist, a non-Jewish therapist that I work with for a specific addiction that I struggle with, which is probably a result of and she was very like, she said to me, like, you're not gonna get past this before you own your authentic self. Now, La Masa, I'm not a rebellious teenager, I'm an adult. I'm a grandmother. In, in the work that I've done, what I found most helpful for myself is reparenting myself. And that goes through my attachment wounds and yeah, reparenting myself. And I am constantly thinking to myself, there must be a different way. My therapist is right. There's no getting past it without owning the self. And yes, as I say, I'm an adult. You know, what am I going to do? You know, and I'm dealing with it on a besides other challenges that I'm dealing with the idea, suggestion.
3: So so thank you for your uh, vulnerability and your um, your openness. I um, it's tough. It's a very, very tough. It just brings to the forefront just how much of an effect we have. Like, for good, I'm going to say for bad, but let's focus on good. Let's focus on just the power we have to shape our children. Really map them out. Like, they're born like open maps with, like, all the, like, worker men ready to go, you know? We just have to direct them and help them create the pathways that are normal, help them create the... The, the, the opinions and the ideas that are helpful for them, but not that we're controlling them, but that they're learning from us. Um, what I would tell you is, is that, you know, on this, for this, um, in this arena, a way to reparent yourself would be through your kids. Um I find that when I'll tell parents a certain concept and I get pushed back from them, that's a sign that they never had it when they were children. Or they're so determined to do the opposite that they're doing it too much. So if someone feels like something I'm saying is is like, there's like a feeling of pushback it could, be valid, it could be valid pushback and I'd love to hear it, but a lot of times it's because we never received that as a child and we don't have that map for it. It's not something we grew up with. It's not something that, that makes sense to us. So what I would tell you is, is that the more you're able to, let's say, value your child's decision, not give them, not let them do whatever they want and you're a grandmother already, so you can do it through your grandchildren Not let them do whatever they want. If they say something that's not right, of course we correct them. But at least see them. At least hear them. At least be with them. And when you're with your grandchildren, you're with even your adult children that are younger than you, and you jump into their world and this is something i discussed because it's it's a, it's a it's, a, it's a, this is like a, a this is real stuff what happens let's say you have a 5 year old grandchild okay. and you jump into his world in a way you're accessing your 5 year old in a way you're right now with the yummiest delicious grandson you're accessing your 5 year old and you're playing with him on his 5 year old level And you're being silly with him it's called like accessing your child's state that's like the fancy way to say it, but the non-fancy way to say it is like I'm just being um, playful. I'm being like I would be if I was five. I'm not out of control. I'm still the grandmother, but I'm really enjoying this matching game, you know. And what that's going to do, it's going to help your five-year-old play. Maybe something your five-year-old never did. It's gonna it's gonna help your twenty-five-year-old. Have a conversation with another adult that maybe when you were 25, you weren't able to have. Um, when you see your grandchildren and you hear them and you listen to them, and this is, again, something I'd love to really discuss, but when, when we can really be in their experience, it's healing for us, especially when we know what the issue is. It sounds like you're going through your own work and you're really working on it, and you have practice in it, you're able to access this and it's a very safe environment. You don't have to access it with a stranger. You don't have to access it with another therapist. You're literally doing it on your own together with your grandchild or your child. And that's in a way, in a weird way, it's very healing. So if you're able to do that, I think that would be, if you're able to, I think that would be quite, um, Healing and helpful for you.
1: Beautiful. Thank you. Okay, let's go to the next live question. You're on. Hi, can
7: you hear me? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Hi. Okay, so my children are a little bit older. The youngest is 11, the oldest is 21. Um, A lot of them are struggling and uh, always come home complaining and a lot of difficulties. So I've been doing a lot of reading, talking to people, and I've, you know, we try to do a lot of the I hear you feel, you know, angry. I hear your, you know, like those types of types of yeah. Uh, yeah. sentences. Mm-hmm. Um, also trying to just hold their pain. Like that's a big thing that, you know, I've been working on with my therapist. Don't just, you know, answer their questions. Don't just right away jump in, just hold their pain and say, wow, I, I, I see that you're really angry. I see that you're really frustrated. And then they come back, my 11 year old and 13 year old screaming i don't need you to tell me how i feel why are you telling me how i feel you need to do something about it how how are you telling me that i feel how is that helping and this just goes into a loop and then i'm at a loss like what what am i supposed to do they if i come in and you know try to help them they say that's not what i want but if i try to name their feelings that's not what they want either
3: i love i love this question I'm sorry? Did someone want to?
7: Looking for, you know, more ideas or
3: suggestions. Absolutely. Um, I love it. I love this question. This really brings out like the struggle. You know, this is what it is. Is it unconditional love of just listening? Or is it firm boundaries of doing something and telling them what to do? So I really love it. And the answer is it's both. I want to give you two things to do. Um, One is very simple. It might take your children a little older. So I think this can work really nicely with them. Um, it's something as simple as they come over to you and you know there's a doozy coming, you know? You know something's happening. They look really upset or they're coming in and you say, you ask them this simple question. Mm -hmm. Do you want me to listen to you? Or do you want me to tell you what I think? You can even add, or do you want me to help you? Ask them before they start, ask them. Simple question, do you want me to listen? Do you want me to tell you what I think? That's like the mean too. but, or you can also add, because it sounds like they want you to do some action. Do you want me to help you? Before, before they come in and the whole thing, or in the middle, whatever, before you respond, ask them and see what they come up with. You'll be surprised. Sometimes when you ask this question, your child will say, just listen to me. And it's sometimes it's consistent and then sometimes it shifts. Sometimes it's very inconsistent depending on the mood of the child, but they're coming over to you for a reason. Let's use every power we have Mm -hmm. as a parent. Let's ask them. So simple. So you want me to, I'm a mom. I'm here with you. You want me to listen? Or do you want me to tell you what I think? Or do you want me to help you? You know, those like the basically those three questions, you can modify it how you want. But I think the first two are really, really important. Because you'd be surprised. The kids that you think always want to eat, talk, always want to hear your voice. They might tell you, just listen to me. And you know what? That's exactly what you're going to do. You're just going to listen. That's what's filling their need right now. And that's what's going to actually fix it. They're telling you that that's what's gonna fix it. And this works in adult relationships also. This is this is a relational piece. Sometimes we try to guess and we try to learn and we try like with kids, it's a little more guessing because they don't know necessarily how to express themselves. Sometimes with parents, they parents they, they don't either know how to like let's say spouses or or adults parent to, to adult children, they don't know how to express themselves either. Co-workers, they don't know how to express themselves that this is what's going on and this is what they need. Sometimes this question is really helpful. I find with kids, it's really, really helpful. And even for adults, just asking that question. It's really bringing out our Suffolk. We're not sure. That's the first thing. The next thing I'm going to tell you is, and I think I'm so glad you asked this question. I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you something that you can do for your like another suggestion that you can do for your kid. I hope I'm not being too suggesty, you know, like giving all, my, all the suggestions, but I, I just want I want to be able to people to come away with a practical you know things even if they take one or two things and they're able to implement it can really be helpful. the The next thing I'm gonna tell you is a really powerful tool. It's very, very powerful in all relationships and it's also powerful for specifically, especially for kids, but everyone, any, any interaction, it's, you know, you were discussing validation and you were discussing validating the feelings and and naming the feelings and all that. Let's say, I'm not going to say for sure, but let's say in the beginning, let's leave that for, for a therapist, even though it's not. And even though, but for the beginning, for, for getting us into the groove of our kids, hearing what we have to say of them, trusting what we have to say, let's, Put that aside for a minute and instead do something similar that I was saying to the question, the person that asked the question earlier. Instead, what I want you to do is your child comes in, let's say your 11 year old comes in and starts saying how this happened and this happened and oh my goodness, whatever. I want you to do two things, stop, Mm -hmm. put your phone down, Mm -hmm. make eye contact with them and actively listen to him. So just most of the times when our kids come in, we're either like, you know, in the middle of making supper, we're in the middle of doing this, we're in the middle of doing that. And then they start screaming and then we start saying the right words, like you were saying, and they feel like, oh, this isn't going. And then they push back and they say, don't tell me what to do with it. And sometimes it's don't tell me what to do. And sometimes it's don't tell me my feelings, blah, 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 right? We need to connect with them, put everything away. I know it sounds crazy but this is going to help you. It's going to help you in your relationship for him, for her in the future. Also, they come in, they have these big, huge things going on. Just put everything down for a second. I know it's hard in our, in our, you know, in, in what, in our families, we we have large families. We have a lot going on. We have a lot of a We have a lot of stuff on our mind, but if you're able to work on this and put it down and, look at them and listen to them. And the second thing I want you to do is it's called really mirroring, but what you're doing is, is that you're showing them that you're in their situation. So let's say your 11 year old comes in and he's looking like this. If whoever could see me like, and he's going like this, like really like this, not in a crazy weird way, but do that. Go like this. That is actually right there. You're going to calm him. And the reason why that works is because he's feeling really, really, really big stuff. He might not even know what it is. She might not even know what it is. When you mirror what they're doing, that means you're acting like a mirror, like you're literally a mirror. You're mirroring what they're doing, not in a crazy way. With the younger kids, it's you can do it in the real, real, real way. But, but what happens is, is that they see... That you get them, they see they get them, they feel you get them. They don't know you get them through your words or anything, they feel it. And you're not going berserk, you're okay with it. That's huge. Most, a lot of times, parents will go into a tizzy and I can't, that's crazy. And this happened, this, and this happened, and oh my goodness, right? Instead, let's just be with them on the level, show them that you're in. So I know Rabbi Nacho was talking about somatic, If and whoever could see me, lean in, lean into them, go like this, right? You see the difference between me sitting like this and listening to you, and me going like this and listening to you? Lean in. That's going to also show them. we have them feel this is about them that you're there, that you hear them. You're in their experience. you hop them by just the way you are, your being, your affect, your the way your eyes are, the the copying, the mirroring that you're doing. That's like the first thing I would cut there's so much more to it because then it goes further, and I think. To address your specific like your specific question that's a that's literally how you how you're the steps that you take like you said the next step would be to repeat back what he's saying in different words like oh my goodness so you're saying that a b and c happened you're not fixing anything you're just keeping that affect and you're just in his experience and using your words to let him know that you're in his experience and what's going on, I could ga- almost guarantee you, you're gonna see like a 50% drop in the intensity. Now, you wanna go fix it after that? We can talk about that, you can go fix it. But mm-hmm. this is a simple, not not simple, it takes a lot of work because you gotta stop, mm-hmm. drop, and roll. You have to like stop everything. But what you're doing is is that you're really being there on their level. With adults, sometimes it's easier because we tend to use words and we tend to, you know, even with adults, there's that famous saying, like, you don't remember what people say, but you just remember how they made you feel. And it's really true. So if we can make other adults feel like they were heard, feel like we were in their experience, we don't have to fix the experience. You do not have to fix it. Most of the time, if they're screaming at you to fix it, if you did this before, come up with ways to fix it. And this thing, this idea, is really you can put into every aspect of your children's lives. You can put it into the aspect of when they're not doing anything, that means they're playing on the side. Jump in proactively and say just mirror it to them, like sip, sip, and and just say like, oh wow. You're playing with the magnet, like we're talking about chose you chose to play with the magnet tiles and you're making a, and you're making a house out of them. That's much more effective in the long run than you saying, wow, look at Moishi, he's playing so nicely. That's nice. It's definitely nice. But to, f- to build up this foundation, we'd like to see our kids and make them feel like they're understood and make them feel that way. So we can use it in like, I would say, three categories. Number one category could be your category. And that's a very intense one. When they come in with a bunch of emotion, be with them in the moment, through your affect, through your posture, through you you repeating some of the words and adding some of your own words. So you're saying that when you were playing football, that happened, right? Like in the in the training that I'm in, sensory motor training, it's really cool. like, in a way, it's, it's, a, it's like contact statements, which is like, you know, a therapy way of, of working. I'm going before that. Forget about all the fancy lingo. It's literally taking what they're saying, repeating it back, maybe adding a drop more, but using the key here is to use everything about yourself to show them that you're there, that you get it. That's going to diffuse the situation. That goes with a tantrum, that goes right back to the original first question we were saying, that goes to a lot of things. The second category was is when they're doing something really good, like they they made dinner or they helped you out with this and they be in, be in it with them, repeat what they said. You don't have to jump to praises and compliments and labels of you're amazing, you're this, you're that, you're this. More like, just repeat back what they're saying, what what they did. And you made this, and you even made that. Whoa, right? And then it's also the benign times, and this is what I love about it, and this is where I tell parents to really focus their energy on, actually, is this investment of the benign times, all the times where the kid's doing just regular stuff. Mirror what's going on. And you know, it's so funny, we do this a lot with babies. And this goes back to like my original point about, um, you know, from two and on. Before two, we do this with our babies, right? Our baby is, um, you know, sitting on the mat, we'll come over and go, oh, look at you, you're having so much fun and you're on your floor, you're on your, your hands and you're trying to get your head up, right? We say that. And then the baby's crying, oh, what's going on? Hmm, you need your blanket or, right, everything about us is mirroring our kids. And I think the reason why, and the, the, the way our college made us is that we're giving, the kids screaming that they're, because they don't have their blanket, right? When they're, when, they're, when they're one, they're cold. When we come and we mirror, we're showing our kids, and it's crazy how this works. We're helping our children develop the, the ability to say, it could be cold and you could still be okay. I'm not angry, I'm not freaking out, I'm not getting all nuts about it. I'm literally repeating what's going on for you, and I'm fine, and I'm gonna help you. And that's where our children at the youngest ages learn that their needs could be met, learn that it's not crazy to have a need, it's not crazy to be cold, right? It's not crazy to cry in the crib if you need something. But when we don't attend to the needs, then they sort of learn that, oh, I have to be quiet. I'm not going to be able to do anything. Um, I have to suppress that. And that comes out, you know, later in in, in many different ways. But um, so just to recap very quickly, it's asking him those short two questions before. And they might look at you weird a little bit, but do it in like a genuine way. And the second thing would be to, to act like a mirror in every part of you. So act like a mirror from your affect, from your face, act like a mirror from your posture, Be with them, and from the words that you're saying.
0: Thank you, Abishua. I'm just sitting here and listening, really profound, practical skills. And uh, it might take time for many to actually get it right. I'm just thinking, for many people they have to you have to be smart about it you know you can't go to your 16 year old and start making those faces you have to learn how right. to say something so people that's
3: right. yeah
0: you have to be you have to be in touch you know and be in, in in tune of what's going on how they would want and sometimes it could be just the opposite it's just making a little bit noise wow and walking away because you know that child is not going to appreciate if you start talking about their day. And the truth is, this could be maybe the next question that we have over here. I'll read it out. I think it's more like the shutting down. This is a question. I have a family of six, and I'm struggling with my six-year-old son. It tends to be difficult and requires so much, requires so much attention. And if he doesn't get the attention that he needs, if we don't focus on him. He basically shuts down. How do I manage? You know, first of all, I have a whole family. I don't have the time to be there for him, but what do I do when he's shut down?
3: Right, right. So shutdowns are tricky because we look at them as like, you know, they're just shut down, but really a shutdown is maybe a little further from like I was saying to tug at the rope, right? So shutdown is not tugging. It's almost like just disengaging with the rope, leaving the rope on the floor and walking away. So that's like a little bit more, that's a little trickier, but I want everyone to look at a shutdown also as a behavior. It's a mode of communication that something's going on. So it's no real, there's no real difference between shutting down and tantruming, it's the same thing. It's a mode of communication that something's up. So we can tell our kids to stop shutting down And we can, you know, give the numbing cream and we can do the this and we can do the that and try and work out all the things. Or we can try and figure out what is really going on that's making them shut down. It sounds like from the question that it's because that they need just so, so, so much attention. And the tweak that I would make to that that assumption would be that it's not so much the need for so much attention. I think what this child's missing is more the way that we're giving it. And and I don't like to say like, oh, go look at the course or whatever, but there's very specific ways that we can give it to our kids that they will feel filled. So, and it doesn't require a tremendous amount of time, It requires time, but it's not like what we think. Most parents tell me, you're telling me to do this with my child? What do you mean? They come home from school, I'm with them four hours a day. They're by my side, I take them to the grocery store, I shop with them, I cook with them, I do everything with them, I spend so, so, so much time with them, and you're telling me to do A, B, and C? And so I say, right, you're doing, you're bringing them along with you in all of your adult day-to-day activities, which is very nice, it's really, really good, you're not being neglectful, And and, and, and you probably are engaging with them. But you're you're taking them and engaging them sort of on your terms in your level. What we what this child really needs is for him to feel or her to feel like there's someone going into their world for just a little bit and connecting. And I like if I'm able to say, <laughs> I think of uh, art, right? Okay. Um, in in Parashas it says, Hashem Hashem created other Mauritian and he said, um, and he created all the different stuff, finally created Adam. And he. it says, um, So Adam Arisha was in Ghana then. He had everything he needed, everything he ever wanted. He had, you know, call it wealth, call it health, call it Everything he had everything, Hashem said, Adam We have to make azer connect Hashem made connected literally from Adam. That means there was something internal. That relationship between Adam and Chava was inter- internal. It was almost like a natural. It was natural between them. What I believe what's going on in this pasuk is Hakadosh Baruch Hu is saying, saying you could have everything but we need to have connection on our level in order to be happy. You know, they did this study, I think it's the longest study ever, like 85 years of what makes happiness. Like what what, what, what helps out happiness? What, what's an ingredient for happiness? And they studied generations and generations and generations and you know what they came up with? I think it was a Harvard study. They came up with Meaningful relationships is what keeps people happy. This is in like Pesach Parag B's of Voracious. Mm-hmm. It's not an eighty-year study. And said Adam You could have everything. You could have wealth. You can the Gan Eden was Gan Eden, right? It was Gan Eden. but still Adam needed a relationship. And so, if we can connect with our spouse, our Children. And this is where it gets tricky. We have to connect with them in their world on their level, not bringing them along to the supermarket. That's not what the connection is about. And you can be doing it and doing it and doing it. And we could be so frustrated, but we're missing it. We're just we're 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 missing each other. It's like we're going like this. And so not only when we go into that level are we filling them up and helping them. Guess what we're doing? We're giving them a map of what relationships should look like relationships are safe relationships are yummy they're good they're something I should look for healthy relationships are something that 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 looks like this looks like listening looks like talking looks like expressing looks at me being able to hear some and that's how they learn. So, so many, you know, you can teach relationships, you can teach and teach and teach, but when it's modeled, not only modeled, let's say a model between, you know, a husband and a wife, so the kids see it, but also the, I feel like the best, there has to be that consistency, but the best modeling is when they're experiencing it with us and they get that feeling like our children feel things, not through words, they feel things in sensations, like Stanley Greenspan says, They actually sense it. It's a sensation until they can develop real language to these feelings. The way they experience it is actually just the way they're feeling. It's like a physical sensation. And we're all like that, really. But when they feel this, it changes them. But the trick is in how we're doing it and how we're able to jump in and connect with them. So I would say is let's look at this shutdown as really a behavior, even though it's not really behaving in in like a... In a way, it's just a behavior and we have to get underneath it with the antibiotics, with the ability to connect.
0: What I'm thinking is maybe um, spending 10 minutes, um, a structured time, like 10 minutes a week or, you know, most people can't do it 10 minutes a day, but 10 minutes a week, Suri, this is your 10 minutes. Chaim, this is your 10 minutes. My question is, do you have other practical ideas where they can get that what they need
3: so, I, so again, in the course, I, I talk about a very similar thing that you're saying, but it's not enough. There's ve- it's, there's a lot of learning that goes on about ourselves and how to be in those times. So that's, like I'm saying, we have to be connected. It's not enough, enough
0: just to have those 10 minutes. Sometimes it can make it worse if you're not
3: sure what you're doing. Exactly. Exactly. And that's where a lot of what, what I try to give up with the parents. It's a lot of learning about ourselves and how to be in and where we are at certain points of the day, we're always fluctuating all over the place. That's the first thing. Um, um, What I would tell you for this child, if you want to adjust the thing, I would would really copy paste what I was telling the caller before, I would tell you to find neutral times to mirror, find times when they actually are agitated to mirror, find times when she shut down, mirror her. So it might look like this. She's shutting down, She's not looking at you. Don't say, oh, you're upset. That's already jumping into the emotion. That's already, right. You can even just look at her and say, oh, what's going on? Right. You see what I'm doing? I'm, I'm, I'm in a way shutting down with her. I'm in her shutdown. What's going on? She might say nothing, nothing. Well, you no, know, I'm here. I'm, I'm here to listen. You might want to give her a hug. You might want to sit down next to her and just, just put your hand on her back. Let her feel that you're there. Let her feel that. That's doing way more than preaching to the walls about how when I was little, I didn't shut down. And even when I wanted to, I respected my parents. Sometimes we have to say that. But nothing's going in when she, think about the words, she is shut down. We have to open her up. And so if we're able to, if we're, if we're able to, a quick tip would be to, I would tell you simply to mirror her, mirror her, not stand back and be like, oh, so it seems that you're possibly shut down. You know, like that's not going to, that's not in connection. Instead, mirror her with your tone of voice, with your, with your posture, with your affect, like like, show her that you're, show her that you can feel the hurt. You can feel what she's feeling, that your chances of her jumping out of it, even if she won't in the moment, here's the thing. She might not in the moment just like snap out of it. Wow, whatever. She's gonna remember that. She's gonna snap out of it faster. And I will tell you, you have to rate it by like three things. You rate it by the intensity. So if you're seeing that the intensity is going down the duration of it's going down and the frequency of it's going down, you know, you're doing something right. Let's say over the course of two weeks. Out of those three things, you're gonna end up, you, you know, you're not gonna see like, oh, wow, all of a sudden, all of a sudden, there's an aspect of consistency that that our kids need, that they know that their needs are being met. There
1: good. So let's go to the next live question,
2: you're on. Hi, thank you so much. Um, first of all, it's been amazing, amazing. Just wanted to thank you for that. My question is a little bit two parts. There's the general, and then there's the a little bit specific. Um, the general is these concepts are spot on, yet we really, like parents especially, I would say in Lakewood, but I'm sure all around, have such busy, busy, busy lives with some with medium-sized families, some with larger families. And at the end of the day, we have to function from get, get to A, get to B, get to C, get to D. We're, we're constantly late, constantly just getting through the day. And it's sometimes it's just impossible to like stop and get into their world when we're already behind and already not function already suppers late and already no matter how, how much you can be um, ahead of yourself, you're still there's still like (laughs) such a rat race and and, and making sure everything gets done and that they get to bed and that they have their homework done and get a good night's sleep and, and all that stuff. So that's the overall general part of the question is how can we Sometimes, like I feel like, if if some just bringing them into our world is the way that we are available to connect with them. But my, the next question is, and I'm going to say specific in my case, if there's a crisis going on or a, a medical situation or something specific where you have even less time because you're so busy with a certain situation. Um, in in my case, it's a medical situation right now, um, and the kids are getting obviously less attention, and you have so much less availability and less space and less, like less. Um, ability to give in their world there's only like h- how would that come and come to play all, pu- putting putting all the advice that you have given um in such a situation where you are so much more limited I would yeah. Say. yeah
3: so 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 a couple of things just like very very practical um, again look for times that you're able to do it and find an excuse to do it so it doesn't have to be in the big moments or or that's that's nice but tr- that's what I. This is what I love about it. Try and make them feel like you see them and you understand them. Through through like benign things. You walk through the door and you see them and you say, "Oh, you're home early. It's so good to see you." You know, a simple comment like that. They feel like you saw them. They feel like you you connected with them. Um, try to find like very benign comments that that you can mirror with them. So when I say go into their world, usually. Going into the world is when we want to do something proactively because we want to either make them feel connected, like Rabbi Nachum was saying. There's a there's like a specific time or whatever. Also, when they're having this huge meltdown and a tantrum, but you don't necessarily have to drop down when when it's these benign times, like these very passive times where you're in the car anyways, traveling to the like traveling somewhere, engage in a conversation on their level you know, or you're anyways doing something. Another thing, it sounds like things are going on in, in in your house specifically, that's difficult. And so what I find a lot of times is that if you don't have time to sit with your child, you could even say like, you know, I'm going to be home. I know I'm going to be out for a couple of days or whatever. I want you to, you know, depending on how old they are, I want you to, to write or I want you to color some of the things that are hard for you. And I want you to, to you know, Tati to, can to take a picture and send it to me or or or, um, or you can I'll call you and then when I have a chance I'll call you and then you'll read it to me. It's a very powerful thing this piece because they do it on their own in their own time. They know they have a place and they know that you're going to listen at a certain point to what they're saying. So they're able to organize what's going on, write it, and then or color it. You might even want them like to draw what's draw what's going on. They might draw like it's fascinating to see what kids would do. And this is also a therapy technique, but why should I be the one doing it? Let's, let's let's let everyone, let's let every parent do this, especially when they don't have time. And then you can discuss it, but you could even give them the option and say, you know, you don't, I know sometimes it's like you don't even want anyone to see it. So you can write it and you can choose to show me or not. See, this is about them, not about us. So a lot of times writing it out, Drawing it out is helpful for them, that alone. And they can hold on to it. They could throw it out or they could show it to you. And when they do show it to you, use that time to be with them on their level. But that's a pretty intense time because it's a culmination of everything of that week or that those couple days that you weren't around that's really bothering them. Work it through with them, listen to them. Say, oh, I see that you wrote, you wrote this. Tell me a little bit more, right? Let's Let's really veer away from fixing it you can fix it at the end of the conversation, but during the conversation, it's gonna be more of the of the trying to, to understand them more, have them express it more in their words, have them feel felt, feel like you got them. It could be over the phone. You don't have to be there, but you're having this conversation with them. You're not distracted, it's just you and them. And so I think for your situation, that would be a pretty practical obtainable thing to do with them. Every parent can do this, you know, it doesn't have to be like a ritual, like every single day do this, you know, that's a little, but uh, it can be something, you know, they're going through something and they don't, it's hard. Like the question before they're shut down, say like, you know, you can write it on a piece of paper and you decide to show it to me, do it when you want and I'll ask you again. And depending on what they are, ask you again, you know, in a couple days, and stuff like that. You're just giving them a, a place to express themselves. You're giving them a place to, to let them, let them f- have at least a medium to feel like they can bring something to you. Sometimes it's embarrassing, especially if it's not something that our kids do all the time and we're not always, always available for them or we're not. So sometimes it's funny to all of a sudden start, you know, sit down with them and talk. Sometimes it's easier for them to write, for them to draw. You know, like something like that.
2: Right. So that's very good and interesting. I'm just thinking, like, for example, my youngest is four though, and she keeps telling me I don't want to go to school because I know sometimes like it's too long for me. I know sometimes you're at appointments and it's too long for me. So like I'm just not going to school. So again, let's say with a four-year-old with that particular situation, I could have her draw a picture about it, but practically speaking like where so to go.
3: What's your response to her usually?
2: I think it's usually, I know it's really long and it's really hard. Mm-hmm.
3: Mm-hmm. So I so there's a couple of things. Number one is that um, I would probably tell you to, when she's telling you, that's pretty big. She doesn't want to go and it's going to affect your whole day. If she doesn't, you don't want her to not go. So then try to carve out some time to, when if she's expressing it to you let's I'll I'll like role play it for you for a second in the mirroring department um I would say I would get down with her and I would and she's saying I don't want to go to school I don't want to school I would copy her she's four so not exactly but I would copy her and say you really don't want to go to school I mean there's so many better things to do than to go to school sometimes you don't know if mommy's coming home sometimes you feel like you know you know like who's going to be home when you get home it's so much easier just to stay home right right and what she's probably going to do is go mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right so, like the last thing you want to do is go into the bus i'm just uh, we're literally going into her turn like what she's thinking go on the bus like meet the bus driver it's cold get to school you're not sure what's going to happen and then And then like, and then you don't even know, like, when you come home, like, what's going to be, right? She might go, right. And then you might say, is there anything else, right? You Now you have just opened her up. Now she's going to be, feels like it's safe to express, to tell you what's going on. Because you're, you're there with her, you're in her experience. And you, like I said before, not going crazy, not getting upset, not getting, you're really hearing her and understanding her. And then ask her if there's anything else she might Say, oh, you know, really, it's because Javi's really mean to me, or you know, our mommy said this and this to me. Okay, you just got it. You just got your answer. Mirror again. Oh, so you're saying and follow this conversation. What you're doing is, is you're you're saving yourself time and energy in therapy. <laughs> That's what you're doing. You're and you're help. You're doing the best gift to your child. You're processing it with them and you're going further and further with them. And then. They might, and, and on their level, all on their level. And then you might want to give them ATSAs. But they're only going to listen to the ATSA that you're going to give them. Like this is where it comes in like the firm, tough love, firmness. They're only going to listen after they're open. So now it's time to be like, I know it's really hard, but I've got to go to school. So let's think of ways to make it easier for you, right? As opposed to like, we could. That, that whole conversation, we could have taken the conversation and said, oh, I know it's really, really hard for you, right? But the child doesn't, a child for sure, doesn't feel heard that way, doesn't feel felt that way, doesn't feel connected that way. If we're able to jump into their experience and literally repeat back what the child probably is not feeling, but experiencing, what's going on? Oh, so you're right, and everything about you is there then you have someone open. Then, like we were showing the brain, then the top, side, front, everything is open. And they can actually hear the etzahs and the hadrachas and all the fancy things that we have to to give them.
0: Okay. It's getting a little late, so let me just throw in another question here. This is going more into the world of chutzpah. My child talks with chutzpah in random times. For example, would tell me to shut up, leave me alone. When I'm serving dinner, he would make real chutzpah comments like, this is disgusting. Why can't we have normal supper in this house? Many times it's out of the blue and we're not sure what triggers what triggers the chutzpah and how to re- how to respond to the chutzpah.
3: Yeah, so this is very tricky because chutzpah is not tolerated. We can't tolerate chutzpah. You're not allowed to be chutzpah to a parent. So <clears throat> that's one piece of it. So we could, we could jump down on that behavior. I'm going to call it behavior again. It's a symptom of something deeper that's going on. But we could jump down on it. And we should jump down on it. But that can't be the only thing we're doing. We have to also try and figure out why all of a sudden, this past week, my child has been chutzpahedik. Wh- where's the stress? What's going on? That means the way I look at it is that, you know, the Kateris had all the delicious smelling things and then there was the Chalbana. The Chalbana balanced it out. It couldn't be just Chalbana. It couldn't just be all the all the other delicious. It would be too sweet. It would be too good. You needed need that balance. <coughs> and that's really the same idea. That means you need to be the balance where this is not tolerated and you need to stop that behavior, especially when it comes to Chutzpah, And you have to top down on it but at the same time it has to be a potion or a mixture that's that sound that's balanced that's not too acidic of like you don't talk to this way can't be too acidic but it can't be just too fluffy either it's got to have that balance and so i would tell you to do both of them simultaneously number one is to 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 They're not allowed to talk this way. So that's going to be a chilek of your, of your thing. But, what I would say is also is that we would, it sounds crazy, but I would tell you to even try, try, depending on the age, mirror with them. So they come in, Oh, this for supper again. I know that's like a famous question. Like they come in, oh, this for supper again. Are you serious? You give this every single week, right? Blah, 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 blah. So most people will tell you to, to, you know, Say, well, you know, you're probably a little frustrated or, you know, what, what I would tell you is that we're dealing with a, with a child who's just like, everything's exploding. So let's, you really, really don't want meatballs. You have meatballs every single night and I keep on making meatballs, right? You're not agreeing with them. You're not approving what they're saying, but you're just repeating back that you you hop how they're feeling, because at the end of the day, that's how they're feeling. They might be saying it very not nicely, very chutzpadek, but you get what they're feeling. That's gonna bring everything down, and then you can top down them and say, we don't talk that way, we don't talk chutzpadek. But first, we have to jump into their world, connect with them, so there's someone home to even, to even, um, to even redirect. So you can call it, it's not validation. It's really the stuff before that. It's making them feel, I guess you would call it validated. Make them feel like they got something from us and that we know how they're feeling.
0: How would you practically uh, mirror it? The child comes in and screams, shut up. How do we mirror that?
3: So if they come in like that, I wouldn't mirror that. I mean, (laughs) you could. So the way, way, that's like, yeah. But what I would say is, is that, why is he coming in that way? Like, is he coming with anything else? He just walks in, shut up. That's all. That's all he's saying. Or is there something in the middle of the conversation? Right. There's probably more that's going on before. And that's where I would jump on the mirror. I would, I would, if we're going to jump to the mirroring, I would, I would sort of ignore the the shut up. And I would say, I would say Mm -hmm. you want everyone to be quiet. Now you just need quiet. There's just, like you have, every, you just went to school. You just came back. Tons of things are going on. You come into this house. It's noisy. You just need everyone to be quiet. Yes. Yeah. Right. You just want, exactly. But then you're going to get the, yeah. That means he felt understood. He's going to calm down. His whole body's going to calm down. And you see how I said that also? I'm I'm jumping in with like that energy that he has. I'm mirroring his energy. That's also a big k of it. And that's, um, that, that diffuses, I would say diffuses a majority of the situation. And then, and, then, and then you can come top down. And honestly, for chutzpah, this is another piece. Our kids are not running away. We got through the chutzpah event two days later. You can bring that up when you're tucking them into bed. That's when their brains are open. They're not running away. Bring it up then. So many parents say, I don't wanna bring it up because it's gonna become a whole thing. No, it's actually gonna help them learn. Only then they're gonna learn. They're not gonna learn in the moment that they're all the hits about something. Mm -hmm.
1: I just just wanna jump on two other questions if we could. I know it's late, but I really think they're important. Is that okay? You sure you're good?
3: Sure, sure. sure. I
1: heard the birds chirping before, so I think you're good. How would you approach a situation where you know there's something really bothering your child? Like they'll ask him a question, they answer like very short, like "How's your day? Good." You know, very like short. Try to avoid conversation. They're avoiding the conversations. I'm hearing from the school that it, whether it's a he or she, they're not doing well. They're you know they're they're having a hard time. Clearly see something's bothering them, but you just can't get it out of them. They won't they won't say what it is. How do you like approach that type of those type of situations?
3: Yeah, so it's a it's 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 the in in this way it's there is an aspect of shutdown that that's how they're expressing themselves and they're just not going to want to say it. That in itself is a behavior, like I was saying. But um, what I would tell them practically to do is to, very similar to what like I was saying before, give them space to be able to write it down, give them space to be able to color it. And you can even mirror the fact that they don't want to tell you You really don't want to tell it to me. There's something going on, but you just don't want to tell it to me. It's okay. Say it, speak it out. Like bring it out to the forefront so that they feel, and you're okay with it. You're actually okay with the fact that they're not telling you anything. That's going to give you the most likelihood for them to actually open up later. Might not happen in the moment, but we're talking about an investment here talking about the the investment to teach them that when they see someone else shut down, when they, Amir Hashem, this is crazy to think about it this way, but when their husband or or wife is shut down or their child is, they'll know what to respond because they have a map of that from you. And that's the power of this. It's it's the power that it's it's an investment of, of you seeing that what I'm doing is hitting the core of it, What I'm doing is I'm making my child in connection and feel connected and it's going to play out. That means we can try and force them to tell us, we can make them speak to somebody and do this and they're kicking and they're screaming. What they want to really feel is just safe. They want to feel like their needs are going to be met and that they were heard. So I would tell you the best thing to do for this child is to just that type of thing be okay with the fact that they're not telling you to name it meaning bring it out mirror it and maybe throw in your options like oh it really seems like like you don't want to talk about it like i wonder why do you want me to guess give them three options why maybe it's because you're afraid i'm going to tell you that that was wrong maybe you're afraid that The kids are going to make fun of you if they find out that you told me maybe, right? Give them a menu of three things. That's also very, that's, that's helpful for kids, but that's only after they feel like we're with them.
1: Okay, I have like five more questions, but I'm going to end with this last one. Okay.
3: Okay.
1: Because when wants to go to sleep, he's very tired and you, you, you have to start your day. Yeah. I'm going to ask you like five questions in one, but we'll put them all together. Okay. Questions like this. How can one fix past parenting mistakes? For example, we didn't give our babies enough undivided attention. Number two, how can we restore peace in our home? Our children, the ages of seven, 10 lack respect for one another, and for us, there's a lot of unnecessary screaming and fighting, physical and name calling. Somebody else send in a, th- a question, I just want to read it, if that's okay, because I think it's fine. Sure. sure. One second, let me pull it up. One second, one second.
5: I mean, it's a
1: different version. It's the older version. What about older children, 24, who don't have a relationship with us anymore and they're not living at home because of all the past parenting mistakes that we made?
3: Okay. So the very good news is is that there's definitely what what you're really describing is like a lot of ruptures a lot of like little ruptures that create big ruptures and then you're talking about the the, the the wanting to repair it and the good news is is that we could sometimes it's really powerful those repairs that we can repair with our kids however old they are whatever stage they are in life so depending it's a, it's hard to give a, a specific things to do but the overall idea is to restart Sometimes, you know, if they're still contacting us and they're speaking to us because, and, you know, it's just, we just feel guilty or we feel like we should be, there were mistakes we made. So start new and, and, and follow a little bit of what I'm saying. You know, they call you up and they say, they start telling you about their day. If our knee-jerk reaction is to fix the problem or to tell them why there's something wrong with the way they're doing and they should really do A, B, C, and D, And that's what we're like, not so okay with. So then it's going to take a lot of work, but it's going to be, the repair would be to listen to them and say, mirror them, you could mirror them. And you can just say, you don't even have to, adults, you can jump into the emotion, but you don't even have to jump in the right day. You can just say, ooh, you know, or listen, just listen. You can start asking the question I was asking you before. I was telling you to ask before, to adults. So like it sounds like you have a lot to say and I, I want to listen so I just want to know before you want me to listen to you or do you want me to tell you what I think right it's really really that that's like that that's doing a lot now the question itself is doing a lot like you're going into their world and you say I just want to I want to suit to you I want to you know and that's something you can do with, especially with adult children um and then I would tell you also is to is to to know, parents should know that even as our kids get older, but sometimes if let's say we feel like emotionally we didn't give them as much as we could have when they were younger, sometimes you have to jump back to that age with them. It sounds weird, but sometimes we do. We have to jump back to that developmental stage. So it might be like, you know, they come over for yantif and you just sit You know, you just sit with them in in like pajamas and schmooze or, or just, just be playful with them. They're older, but that's repairing them. That's helping them repair. That's filling up that layer. Let's say like, think of an onion, it's filling up that like middle layer and it's getting a rate that, that piece and it's helping it. And it's helping it now not affect the outer layers. So that's also very, that's important to know, like just because they physically got older right we physically grew up but a lot of times emotionally in our relationship we're still a little younger and so sometimes they need that to fill up um that requires a little more uh time for that but yeah
1: okay let's go to the closing let's wrap things up over here we, we i don't know you know we have so many more questions but we just didn't have the time we got to come back again that's the bottom line <laughs> okay. well, first of all, big thank you to Shoe Sacks for coming on tonight, giving tremendous physics and really clarifying you know, the connection part and really real practical tips. And um, like I said, I, I feel like we only touched the surface a lot more. We need to really speak about and cover. And um, again, if anyone wants to join, our, you know, get the WhatsApp chats, uh, the, the flyers every week. Please WhatsApp me at 848-525-0066. Again, that's 848 525 Save my number you can go to MenachemBarreful.com and sign up for his emails. He sends the flyers out every week and the replays. Again, if kind of anybody's here the first time, every Sunday night at 9.30 on this Zoom ID, we have different rabbinim, different therapists. The best of the best. But next week, March 5th, we're going to have an amazing show with Rav Chaim Ashtorewski, who speaks on the topics of hashkafa, And um, speaks in a lot of schools, actually speaks in my daughter's school. So I know he's good. It just came out with a book as well. So the topic is going to be confronting tough hashkafa questions for ourselves and our teenagers. Because it's the Sunday before Purim, he's going to add in understanding the deep meaning of the messages of Purim with the al shach and the Gil Sester. So please join us. It should be a powerful share and uh, be part of it. Everything is recorded. channel will be on If anyone has any questions, please email coachmenachem at gmail.com. Tonight's share is one thirty four. Lave Ma- Maven to really understand. I think it was a great Gematria. If anybody wants to listen to the share tomorrow, we'll be on our phone number at 848-777-GROW. That's 848- 77777 seven, 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 seven Grow and Rebishua, I would like you to give out your email, your web. Anybody who wants to know how to do the parenting class? I'm signing up for the parenting classes. We can give anybody before you go to your closing, just your email, your contact. How people want to get in touch with you? How can they get in touch with you?
3: Oh, uh, they can get in touch with me um through email. It's parenting at sensoryoutlet therapy.com. Um they can go to my website, it's my name, Yoshua Saks, Www that show um, and then for the phone number, it's one second. Um, what's that? You have the phone number. It's nine one seven. No, I'm sorry, seven one eight. eight. Yeah, seven one eight nine two four two
1: zero nine five. You can call. Okay, final. before we go to that, let's just wrap up again. Thank you to all the advertising sponsors of the Scoop, Ellie and Ariel from Five Town and Cal from JCN for always promoting us. Yeshua, tonight was off the charts. Really, really deep, amazing, clear, and love practical. We love Lemaissa. That's what we like. Yeah. yeah. Thank you for making Misa. I know we told you about 20 times the same speech, but uh, thank you for delivering. And uh, Menachem, we're going to go to your closing of Now, after, before you go to your closing, now after two two plus, two and a half hours, you can think of a good whatever comes to your heart when you come to your closing. Benach, we'll go first.
0: Yes, thank you. Thank you very much. And like we heard we covered a lot and like we said, it's very practical steps. And also we went very deep talking about our inner child, re-reparenting with our kids, with the to Understands it's never too late. And we are where we are now. And what can we do today instead of looking back? Um, it is important to be aware that we don't have time. We're just so busy, whether we're running around, working, uh, both parents are working, and the little time that we're home, you you have to get ready for the next day ready. And if you're on your phone a lot, there's just very, very little time to mirror to be there, to sit, it, just to be aware of that and slowly we can make some small changes. But it's important to, to, to understand it's never too late, no matter what, you try, what your age is, your kid's age. And uh, most important, not to forget, enough, we're in this together, Hashem is there to help us. And like Reb salomon says, you know, we didn't get a guide before we, we take Reb courses. Saying, this is my child. How do I deal with it? Hashem gives everybody what they need for their kids. And how do I do this? Sometimes we feel, how do I do this? So talk to your um, to your shutaf. Talk to Hashem. And uh, say it tefillah, my kids are coming home in a few minutes. Every day is different. I never know in what mood he's coming home. Please, you plan das. I should be able to be there for a few minutes for him. Even though I had a hard day myself. And I would need to take care of my inner child. But a different time. So that we can slowly, slowly slow down and do that. What you said, the practical tip of stopping. Just stop. Put away your phone. So thank you very much. And Amit we will be able to implement one step at a time. Okay, Eric, sure. let's go. Wrap it up.
3: Okay. Um,
0: one tip that's
1: going to solve all the problems.
3: <laughs> so... So like I said, this is, um, I'd like to just point out that really what we see from our Bar and other Mauritian, this is a real core need for our kids. It's not like an extra. Extras maybe is Ghanaian. Others survived out of Ghanaian. Extras maybe are, you know, candies and, and, and yummy sweets for our kids. Those are extras. What's not extra is to help our kids and fill their needs. That's not extra. That's really helping them develop, not only develop the next day to be able to thrive, to be able to rest, to be able to feel safe, that they know they're getting their needs met, but it's helping you because it's gonna make a lot of the behaviors go down. It's helping your children's spouses, and it's helping your sh- grandchildren. That means like the caller before that had this, you know, like a hard childhood, repairing, stopping the cycle, the this like vortex is helping generations because, you know, I can almost guarantee that that caller's father, father was similar. It was the same thing. So if we could stop it, you're doing the best you're doing the best service to not only you, <laughs> your children, but your grandchildren and future diaries. So it's a, it's, it's this, it's this piece that I'd like to put, bring out is that this is really, if we can learn how to do this, this is filling a core, core need. Mm-hmm. It's like there, our children are hardwired for this. It's like in their hardware. Mm-hmm. It's not an extra, it's not they got something special. This is really, really internally helping them develop, especially when it's done consistently and it's done in a way that they feel like they're gonna get it. So if that can push people to really think about their own intuition, I rarely tell parents like in this situation, I know we role played, but not like say this, say these words, because our parents have their own intuition. Parents know their kids the best. Not me, not me as a therapist, they know their kids the best. If we can bring out that intuition, clarify the map of how to go, parents are the ultimate ones to do it. They're the most powerful, and they're the ones that really can repair or really teach our kids life. Beautiful.
1: Beautiful. Thank you so much, everybody, for coming tonight. See everybody same time, same place next week, March 5th. Kaiva good goodbye everybody and Ram sure, you're amazing. Thank you,
3: Thank you.